This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello, this is Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today we have a very special guest, Fritz Nell Octave, a veteran journalist born and raised in Haiti. He now lives in the United States but stays actively involved in Haiti in order to broadcast the overshadowed and undermined history of Haiti. His work depicts his extensive research and a deep understanding of human psychology. And I'm Mary Elkins. Fritz Snell started his career in the mid-1990s as a host and reporter at Voice of Far West Radio in Haiti. He moved to the United States in the early 2000s after reporting and writing for many of the Haiti news shows. Welcome, Fritz Snell. Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. Glad to be with you. Great to have you. We'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what led up to where you find yourself today. Oh, I mean, as you guys uh, did a good job on um, giving the audience a little bit about my background, um, I was born and raised in Haiti. I mean, very... um, and I was born in a very remote area, a very, very small village, close to um, this place called Mont Saint Nicolas. Mont Saint Nicolas is basically the port of entry for colonialism on the island. Oh. That's where Christopher Columbus first landed oh. on December fifth, fourteen ninety two. Basically, uh, my my village in a, uh, a small section of that part of the island uh, called Bombalopolis. That's where I was born and raised until around age 12, 13. And, uh, and then my, I moved to Port-au-Prince because of school. Mm-hmm. At this time, um, around my, my time where I was uh, growing up, there were there were there were there were no high school in uh, in, in my town. So it's so mostly you will need to to move to a bigger city. Uh, in most cases, um, it will be part of the access due to lack of infrastructure, lack of communications, and so on. Will be easier to go to port of as opposed to some other. Um, city and region like Paris, that would be my the biggest city in my uh, department we call that department which is um uh, a sections of of uh, administrative section largest administrative section in the country 
So did that uh, mean you had to? Did, excuse me. Did that mean you had to go on your own, away from your family? Unfortunately, yes. At age twelve, close to thirteen, so I had to move to Port-au-Prince, uh, leaving my parents behind. And um, fortunately, I had a. We we my my parents were able to to pay someone a little bit of money, someone older that I consider as my aunt, but it's not really. Mm-hmm. It's. But at that time, you you feel like okay, that person probably five six years older than you is like uh, going to watch over you, represent your parents, and so on at school and everywhere, cook, you know, prepare clothes and so on, watch over you all along. So that's basically what it was until I could really um, get to to discover myself as a young adult. Um, tell us about your book which is called Haiti Between Pestilence and Hope. This book is, is basically a long thought project in the making. Um, from very early on in my career as a, uh, as a reporter in Haiti, so I, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to, to, make a, to be able to make it with a lot of foreign reporters. Uh-huh. Um, Back, back, back then when I, when I was in the field. So one thing, one common thing that's always come back to my brain is that, oh, these foreign reporters, they, they're not really interested in a real, real story in here. They come in for something flashy and then leave. And then whenever uh-huh. something flashy comes up again, they, they're back to, they're back to, the, to, 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 the, to the field of reporting. And then they disappeared. You never hear from them again. But the real story, the real, you know, the, I mean, what really mattered to people never been really reported. You have a voice of Haitians, like the locals, uh, uh, through this kind of report, reporting. They filtered everything to the lens of, to their own perspective, how it, what they understand, which is not really very shallow. This is not really what is Haiti. And then, so I always feel that I need to find a way to stick that voice uh-huh. in between somehow, and then for people will know better about the country. Yeah. So how long did it take you to write? And tell us a little bit more about the book itself. Um, it's, I got my, my I, I, I have been comp- compiling research and materials for quite some time back before the year 2000. So I, everything, some part of it are things that I reported on. So I have this, this in there somewhere in my library. I have a lot of things, but I actualized stuff, you know, for, you know, around the time of COVID hits and I have more time to at home and so on. And I, I feel, I say, you know what? This is a good time for me to start thinking deeper about this project and get it done mm-hmm. during that time. And really, the last six months of 2021, that's when I really dig, 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 dig deeper and focus on doing that, making that happen. So it's basically take me about six months to. That's to great really because start. we've talked to several people who, during the pandemic, dug in and changed and 
became creative and found their outlet and got it done. So that's an amazing common theme among several people we've talked to. That's great. Yeah. Yes. Talk a little bit about what was behind your ideas in the book and why readers should believe and trust in your ideas. Um, first off, it's the um, idea where most most people, to my understanding, see Haiti as a a country where only negative stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the pestilence. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where where we have this constant struggle, problem, political violence, you know, uh, um, you got you got natural disasters, you have earthquake, hurricanes, and floodings, and poverty, and okay, all this stuff that we've been stuck on since the independence in 1804, basically. Yeah. So we 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 really accomplished that independence. But then we we never have been able to move beyond that and generate and create a country where where everyone can thrive in. Mm-hmm. So fairly and squarely. So we have we have this constant problem, never ending problem. So that's the personal side of my story in the book. And then, but to when we what next? And it is are we are we are we we destined to be stuck forever? Then in my in my perspective, no. Uh-huh. That's the hope side. That's why I said I call the book uh, "Pestilence and Hope." We have both. We have that constant struggle on the one side, but we have hope on the other side. And then the hope, to me, is more prominent than than the pestilence. The never-ending struggles, the problems, the violence, the natural disaster, also, and that's always, it, you know, bombarding the international and the international media. That's the side they should always show up, highly, highly, usually. But if you look at the country deeply, if anyone like. I know the people that work in the community, the grassroots organizations, the NGOs, the the, the religious communities, people that do serve, the real Haitians, the real people of Haiti, they they can understand what I'm talking about. So the real Haiti is is stronger, is bigger, is a lot larger then the sum of these problems we always have that seems to be never ending. We miss some key ingredients from some key elements to make that hope overshadow this constant, constant uh, pestilence, mm-hmm. which is unity among Haitians themselves, accountability, responsibility, and and we see ourselves as the determinant for our own problem. 
Do you feel that the book is really aimed at Haitians or it's aimed at the outside world? Both. Both. So Haitians should read this book. Haitians should read well, Definitely. I talk yeah. to them. There's certain part of the book where I talk to them directly. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 the last chapter of the book, chapter 8, where, 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 which, is, which is food for thought, that chapter is basically designed for Haitians. Mm-hmm. And then also, the blend game chapter 3 is designed for Haitians. Mm-hmm. So that's why I talk to them directly. Of course, I put out the problem, the issues with Haitians um, in terms of any external um, in the foreign person can, if you want to deal with them, so you understand them, you're better to, to know how to deal with them if you want to do it in a way that you want to be part of a solution, a help for solution for them, how to deal with them so we can we can come out with a solution. But it's in a larger extent, it's basically address, it's address is Haitian, make them understand that the way they same thing, the way they blending issues, people, things, so have not been productive. Mm-hmm. And so they, need to, they need to have that, an afterthought. They have to put that as an afterthought and to move forward toward changing the real, the real deal. Do you feel your book has given them the impetus to do that? Yes. It kind of leads me to my next question, which was, why do you think people other than Haitians care about Haiti's political and socioeconomic history? Uh, first of all, Haiti is is not some sort of country um, extraterrestrial or some kind of aliens country isolated in a box somewhere. Uh-huh. That's not affecting anyone else. That's that doesn't have uh, some kind of relationship and connection with anyone. Else. First of all, we're an island shared with Dominican Republic. We, these <laughs> two countries live side by side on, on a piece of land in the middle of the ocean. Uh-huh. That's already that's already here. It's already a problem by itself. Uh-huh. Okay, we have our history with them. Well, I talk uh, in the book about that as well. Uh-huh. But also, we have the rest of the countries in the Caribbean. We have Cuba close. We have Jamaica. We have Trinidad. We have all these other Caribbean countries. We have the rest of, of Central Latin and Central America. So look at immigration. Look at how many Haitians in the past 10, 12 years moved from Haiti and then goes to Chile, to Brazil, all in the heart of South America. And then transfer to the United States. Uh-huh. After a couple of years or three or four or five, when they're making enough money, we make a little bit of more money, they can find their way to North America, the mm-hmm. USA and Canada. So in a sense, why, why we have all these migrations? We have more than 4 million Haitians outside of Haiti, not counting 
you know, their kids, great grandkids, a generation from from one generation to another, that are born outside of Haiti. I'm talking about people mm-hmm. that were born in Haiti, left the country for one reason or the other. So why we have we all have all, we have all this migration among the you know the Caribbean countries? We have the highest level of migrations. Why? So if 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 a foreigner in need to see a different picture than this, so they will have interest in looking at what's going wrong and then what needs to be fixed and how we can help. Maybe we help these people stay home. Maybe well, you know, we do this, we do that, we help them do this. Because I talk about it in, as a big deal in the book, where Haitians in their perspective, they, they never get help enough. Hmm. That's how they see them. So I leave it. I know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. They, they never satisfied. They, they are never. They, they have never been satisfied with the help from outside in Canada, in France. France is another animal by itself. And you get to hate when you talk about it. Okay, they have inconceivable differences that will probably for a million years that will never be reconciled. Yeah. Okay, for historical reason. I want to ask you about the international community. You, you did touch on it, and they seem to ignore Haiti, and they fail in Haiti. What? Why? Why do you think that is? Well, I, I don't. I don't think they ignore Haiti. Their fingerprints is all over the mess. They always been there. They always been involved mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through UN. Through OAS, through all different European Union, for any, 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 you name it, any international, um, multinational, multilateral agencies and so on, they've always been involved. The problem is they always handle wrong. They always, it's, it's, I'm, sometimes I'm asking myself, I, do, do they really care? Or they don't know what they're doing. Mm. They don't know how to do things to make it effective and and productive. Do you have an idea of why they always fail? Yes, I, I think I think it's not one thing. It's mm. it's a it's a it's a it's a there's there's a bunch of things that you can plug in together that give you this kind of result we see today. First of all, it starts with Haitians. So the box stops with us, Haitians. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because to my understanding is, you can't expect a foreign country, you know, operators, or you know, actors, and, 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 and ambassadors, whoever, from foreign countries to come in and, and then fix your problem for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, you will. Okay, they can come into help. This is good friends, true friends, true neighbors. Help each other. They can come and they help. They product. That's why they call it help, but not doing for you. Uh, well, what mm-hmm. would constitute help? Real help for Haiti. So real help will be first of all, or in our perspective, national perspective, we are, we have a plan. We have a vision. We have a plan. We set it. Up and 
we tell people, if you want to help us, this is where we need help. Mm -hmm. not, not where you, you think we need help. You may think we need help here, but that's not where I see it. I see it. I've seen it time and time again, especially like missionaries. They come into an area, they say, oh, these poor people, oh, they need help. They're put a school here. But they never talk to the people if they really need school. Because mm -hmm. you, you know, your perspective, you think they need school, but that, for, in their perspective, they may say, we don't need school. We need something else. Probably mm -hmm. we need work. Probably we need better, we need clean water. Maybe we need better, um, uh, maybe toilets. Maybe, you know, it, uh -huh. it's, maybe we need to develop our agriculture. Maybe we need, you know, you know better, better tools for farming. Uh -huh. So most of the time, that's where the community, international community fell because they always come in with some kind of dictation of, on what needs to be done. Oh. And then the Haitian, they open their, their arm, they say, okay, go ahead. So that's the, that's the, that's a major, major problem. I have a different question altogether. I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, what is the Haitian slave revolution? What is that? Okay. The slave revolution is, that's the, that's the only one this kind ever happened through our civilization. Only one. Mm -hmm. Then you have this, uh, you know, these blacks, folks, you know, and chain, tie to their neck, travel across the Atlantic Ocean, get to this island, and then work like animals for years. We're talking about almost 500 years, right? Uh-huh. So, from, from the moment they, they, they realize that they have to find a way out of this, they cannot keep dying at age 30, 31, 32, 33, because of hard labor and, you know, forced slavery, they so harsh conditions under the French colony. So they have to do something. They start, they start a movement by, by fleeing the plantation. Okay, someone flew the plantation. But when they get caught, so they, they kill them. And then them in front of others. So they will never try to, you know, so the one that's still alive, they never try to do the same kind of rebellion again. So up to, to a point where they get to Iran, in the late 1700s, so they find they find some leaders that were were focused enough on the fight to get enough steam around that movement, and so they they fought, they, they, they start fighting uh, with different use, using different tactics to fight the the, the, the colonists. So by extension, uh, France. Uh, the, the first system, the government system, the whole, the, the whole uh, uh, establishment, slavery establishment, to fight to fight that establishment, and and by 1801, so I mean 1801, 1802, 1803, so you know, 
taking advantage of what happening in France as well as you know with the French Revolution 1789. So a lot of factor, a lot of things factor into this. They took advantage of this. They had some people could read newspaper at the time. So you know they had what so what's going on in France. And then they, 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 they profit from that. And then to, to give the movement, the fight to liberate themselves must take. And then, and by 1803, the, the major, major, major battle, it took place with the slave. They wanted, they wanted no part to do with slavery system anymore, no part to do with working on the plantation of forced labor. And they're going to, they wanted to reverse course and then uh, to um, overthrow the whole colonial system, the whole slavery system. And then that battle took place between the, what we call indigenous um, uh, um, forces. With not, with not, they were not really forces, they were not trained military, training these were slaves, okay? Um, except for a few um, colored people, that's who called militos. The militos, they are they are a is a, a consider considered as a second class citizen to the French, uh, because they were like a, a French a French father, a, a slave mother, and vice versa. So they were they were a little bit. Uh, educated, they they have the privilege to go. Some of them, some of them, not a lot of, of them, but some of them, they presented um, a class of intellectuals. They, they went to France to study and come come back to the colony, and then they side with the slave, um, black slaves, and then you know galvanize that movement, and then fought the French army, the Napoleon army. Mm-hmm. And then in 1803, November 18, 18, 18, 18, uh, 18 of November 1803, so they, they gained a major, the major victory where they do consider that the a total defeat of the Napoleon army. And then they slid. So so now they they seize the land and they declare them, them free from the colon, colonial system. And they they they, they overthrew the whole system and then took over and then the country Haiti and and mm-hmm. they were as an independent country. Yeah. That's the revolution. Um, I, I want to go back to um, talking about the the Haitians and um, how the, the econ- you can improve the economy mm-hmm. and other um, parts of the problem, other problems that uh, yes. are going on over there. Um, have the Haitians been able to connect with your suggestions on making it, making the country a safer place to live and thrive? Um, I don't know yet because the book is about a couple of months since it's been published. I, what I can say, I have good feedback on uh, people who read it so far, uh, people who who was interested in it even before it got published and by um, hearing about the book uh, was to come out. So some people are very excited waiting for it, etc. So now 
I I wrote this book in the, in the mindset of getting a tools that will guide everyone that involved in Haiti. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States. If you're interested in seeing change in Haiti, so maybe that will help the national um, adopt the domestic policies here. Maybe put less stress on in, 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 on, on U.S. national policies. So this is, a, this is a way for you to do the things to work because the way you've been doing it since the invasion of Haiti in 1915 has not been working. Mm-hmm. We have three major U.S. occupation of Haiti from 1915 to 2004. Mm. All of them fail. Uh-huh. Okay, why is that? Is it because is it purposely? I don't think so. I think it's because they just don't understand. Okay, well, I you- wanted to take a slight detour okay. and ask you about the Haitian proverbs. I saw those on your website. And they yes. seem to be a very important part of your culture. What are yes. some of your favorites? Just give us a couple of ideas because our listeners won't know about these. Petit, c'est bien malheur. Petit, c'est bien malheur. Which means? Which means, so children is, is the parents' wealth. Mm. Yeah, children are... You know, if you literally say children are their parents' wealth. Nice. Do you have other favorites? Uh, any, anything else? I would, I would like uh, Mayor Pil Shaibalu, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, it, it's it, in many hands make the load lighter. Mm-hmm. We kind of have that in the United States too. Yes. That's so if, we, if we gather together, if we put our hands together, so what we feel, what we may feel, and we may see as impossible, may not be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Um, you know, I I've been thinking about when you mentioned there were a number of people who educated themselves or and went to school in Haiti and then went to other countries, and isn't there a way? for the people who were born there and have moved to other countries to go back and help as ambassadors and people who would understand the culture. Wouldn't it be better to have people like that going back home and helping there or or add, or um, like talking question. to their own governments right now? I like that question. That's, that's one of the idea in a book where when I say we Haitian need to take responsibility for one problem to resolve it and, and then hold ourselves accountable so I mean anyone with Haitian heritage it doesn't matter how many generations and then from which you were born outside of Haiti. 
But if you if you know your words is tied, your words are tied to him, you know you have some kind of connection one way or the other to the country. So your 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 input and changing course in the country is necessary. One way or the other, and at any 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 level, any level, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then that's to me. This is maybe maybe one of the major way. If it's not the way, we will be able to solve our problem. Mm. Yeah, like like myself. Okay, I was born Wednesday. I had. My, I have, I when I came to the university, they didn't give me education. I was already educated in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Okay, they what what the country here did does for me. It, it's it's the opportunity. It's give me more opportunity that opportunities that I wouldn't have back home. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What would you like our listeners to have as their main takeaway today? Haiti, Haiti as we know it today, has problems, sure. But the problems, they are minute compared to the opportunities and possibility. I say possibility mm-hmm. for change and if possibility for a way better country than people are accustomed to, or at least what what is in people's mind about. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Fritznell Oktav, Haitian journalist and author of the book Haiti Between Pestilence and Hope, which by the way has gotten some very good reviews. You can visit his website for more information at Spritnel Octave, that's F-R-I-T-Z-N-E-L-O-C-T-A-V-E dot com. Thank you, Fritznell. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Yeah, and we want to remind our listeners to subscribe to our Late Boomers podcast on your favorite platform. And please follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and at Late Boomers. Also drop us a line on our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z. Thanks again, Fritz Nell. Uh, thank you. Thank you. A pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. 
Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.